Good morning. It's good to see you as you're making your way in, and welcome to Grace this morning. Uh, hopefully you got a bulletin as you were coming in so that you could follow along in the, some of the songs. Uh, not all of them are always in the uh, hymn book. Uh, many of them are printed out for you this morning, so we invite you to come uh, along and worship and join with us. And so we're going to begin this morning with an opening hymn called, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. So if you're able, stand with us as just kind of our prelude opening song. Sing with us. Amen. You may be seated. And if you have a bulletin there, before we take a moment and pray together, let me just invite you this morning, if you're a guest with us for the first time, or you've never had a chance to fill out one of the blue uh, visitor cards or guest cards, if you would please do that. You can always, on the way out, there is an offering box by the door. That's how we've been collecting the offering uh, through this pandemic times. And so those who are used to putting stuff in the offering box, you can also put that in there. Or if there's a prayer card or anything else that you have, you can also put that there in the box. And that way when the uh, collection is taken up, they will distribute those cards to the right places. Uh, if you would do that for us, we would love to have a record of your visit. Also, you'll see on the back uh, of the bulletin there, there are several things about the adult classes. <clears throat> Excuse me. We want you to take and be a part of. So if you'll plan ahead, I know uh, Dr. Abbott is going to be working together with a Westminster class. He's going to celebrate... Uh, this next week, uh, Martin Luther's time, uh, his fa famous defense. And so if you've never learned about that and would like to sit in on that, he's going to do a week on that before he begins the class. I'm praying about doing a pastoral class that's more of the counseling side. Not that you need counseling, but dealing with counseling issues. Like I'd like to do some monthly topics and help you overcome fear, anxiety, depression, uh, those things that we deal on a regular basis. And so I've got some wonderful stuff that I'd like to do on just kind of a short-term monthly basis. Uh, so in the future, look for those that if you want to just plug in, there'll be an open class. There's, you don't have to prep or be a part of the week. It'll just be uh, a time for you to jump in if there's something. Also, the ladies' class is still meeting. So if you're not doing the Tuesday night, you can also meet here on Sunday morning. Or if you miss a Tuesday night or if you miss a Sunday morning, the women have got you covered. You have no excuse to not teach. If, if you're not going, it's not because they haven't provided the opportunity. So they would encourage you to plug in and be a part. So there's lots that we're trying to get back started. We still want to be very careful. We want to remind you as you are uh, coming back, and I know many of are feeling more comfortable to get out, we still want to respect the distance the best we can. So as you're greeting people and talking with people, just respect them. Uh, and I know it's probably a good habit to get into, period, to wash your hands all the time and be careful with what you're doing. So there's some good things we've learned through this as well. But we're excited to see you. I want to take a moment. Go to the throne of grace and prayer. And then if you would, join me in the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it printed right there in your bulletin. And that way you can join along with me uh, in that prayer. <clears throat> but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love, for the opportunity to be here, to be able to worship and to fellowship and to sing. Lord, to be able to gather with our brothers and sisters our family. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful for those that are able to join us uh, through the technology that we're able to, to tape and to post and to share with many others that are unable to come. Lord, we are just so thankful that you've enlightened a way in this time that we could still stay connected, we can still be in fellowship, we can still minister. Lord, give us the grace and compassion to continue to follow the lead, to continue making whatever changes are necessary in order to bring your kingdom here on earth. Lord, we also say again uh, that we come boldly to the throne because of the access we have through your son, Jesus Christ. Not on our works, not on the things we've accomplished, but because of his life, his death, 
and his resurrection that allows us to come. And so, Lord, we come together as a body, praying as one, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship this morning before we continue to sing. If you want to follow the musical side, you could turn to hymn 295 in a moment. And if not, you can just follow along here in the bulletin. But let me call us to worship from Psalm 50, from verses 1 and 5. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. We have gathered together. We've made covenant to worship. And let's do that if you're able. Stand together with us and let's crown him with many crowns. If you would remain standing for just a moment, turn your hymnal back to the catechism questions on the back on page 871. Let's take a moment while we're standing this morning to confess our common faith and our sins together. You'll find those on page 871. We've been working through the catechism, if you're here visiting with us this morning. And so we encourage you to not only do them here, but to use the week throughout to be able to reiterate these truths and to find opportunities to share these truths and to talk about them as the week goes on. So I will read the question, if you'll join with me in reading the answer together. We'll begin on question 26. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Question 27 asks, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, in that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. You'll also see printed there an opportunity for us to confess our sins corporately together. It's not meant to pick out your individual sin. It's an opportunity for us to just admit that we come before the Lord as sinners and that we can be filled, we can be cleansed and renewed. And so pray with me, if you would, this short confession of sin. Father, forgive us for not following you in self-denial as your Son, Jesus our Lord, did. We confess, Father, we do not always serve you in true righteousness and holiness. Forgive us for not living to your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who reigns with you. Amen. And always in scriptures we find the assurance of pardon, that no matter where you turn, the scriptures are loaded with opportunities for us to see that he truly does forgive us. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us, For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. I hope this morning when you leave, you will realize that your conscience can be cleansed and you have been purified in the blood and you are able to serve him. Let's sing together this hymn of assurance. We've learned it last week. If you weren't here in the later service, you didn't get a chance to hear it, but it's the hymn of assurance because he lives. You may be seated, and I hope you brought your Bibles along with you. We've been journeying through the memoirs of Nehemiah, and this morning I want to take you on a challenging journey of untying all the messy knots that we make in life. Now, I will tell you up front, I am not preaching to you this morning because I have practiced perfect interpersonal relational skills. Um, My wife and family will tell you that we have practiced many biblical principles throughout as we have faced things in life together. We truly tried to covenant as a bond and a team to work through issues. But I have found, whether it's in the businesses that my family has been a part of, or whether it's in the ministries that we're serving, or whether it's in our own personal relationships, that there is no way to avoid conflict. If you've been married more than a day, you've had conflict. Not really. A friend told me one time, give it two years when nature's anesthesia wears off and you've got a whole mess on your hands. Folks, there's no matter where we turn. Nehemiah chapter 5. Let me just take us on a journey this morning, if I can, in what it means to try to work through these knots that are created throughout relationships in our life. Nehemiah realizes and shares with us that if you're going to be successful at rebuilding, if you're going to be successful at accomplishing what it is that you've set out to do, you've got to be able to work with conflict. Now, sometimes it takes years. Nehemiah didn't have that time. We learn in, later on in Nehemiah chapter 6 that they had the, the wall built in the matter of months. So he was a master Uh, interpersonal relational skills organizer. For many of us, it may take months just to get the nerve up to go say something to somebody. So here this morning, I challenge you as we work through these knots of life, the mess that's been created, that you too may find some answers in helping you along the way. Follow with me in Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm just going to read through the first 13 verses just so we have a story, a reminder from last week as we took away. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain Because of this famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of your brothers, our children are as the children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. This is where Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry at these words. I took counsel within myself 
and I bought, brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we as far as we are able have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold into the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. Praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and as you follow along this morning, I want to try to take us on a journey of overcoming some of these conflicts in our interpersonal relationships. Let me begin by saying that Nehemiah is warning us as a great leader, it's a whole lot harder to untie the knots that are made in life than it is to cut them off. If I can use the analogy that one of the presidents of the annuity board many years ago, back at the turn of the century, shared... It was the story of an athlete, I would understand that today now in raising children, and you probably do too, that there's nothing more frustrating than when your children tie their shoes in knots. Parents take the time to teach them how to tie it right, because it sure saves a lot of time down the road and frustration. Because I know as one who plays sports, and my children in all different kinds, there's nothing more frustrating when your child kicks a ball and their shoe comes off with it. Or they're playing basketball and stop and they roll out of their shoes and got to stop and put them back on. And then you go over there to help them and you find out that their shoes are only laced part way up. Or they're tied in a knot halfway down. And their shoes slip on and off like slippers so they can get in and out of them. And then they can't hardly keep them on. Because the principle became so clear, and I'm not trying to preach to you about shoes, but I want you to understand it's so much easier sometimes to just cut the knot out and then you have to make all the adjustments necessary. you got to rework the string, maybe skip a hole, get it back together so it'll reach. And then it gets tied in a knot again. It's a whole lot easier to just cut the knot. And then pretty soon you're skipping multiple holes. You tie one big knot, you can't make a bow, and the next thing you know, why even wear shoes? And that's what relationships are like. Sometimes we find ourselves getting tied in knots over things and it's a whole lot easier and simpler to just cut the knot and not worry about it. Just start right back over, just retie it, let's see how things go. In other words, let's just sweep it under the rug, let's forget about it, let's not address it. There's a reason that God has told his church that you should practice discipline. Discipline is a must. It forces every one of us to keep the purity and peace in our relationships. They happen at every level. I'm not talking this morning about just personal relationships in your family. 
We have relationships since I have moved here, folks. I say it humbly and honestly desire your prayers. We live in a presbytery that has had many conflicts, not just about within churches, but against each presbyters, against people in presbyters. It's been one of those years that the pandemic in our church may not seem to have affected much, but it really has taken its toll on many people. There are those who are battling depression. There are those that are battling anxiety. There are those that have lost just about everything and understand what famine is all about. You see, relationships can be tied in knots for multiple reasons. But when sin is the cause, that's when we find ourselves most often choosing to make the choice of just cutting it off because we don't want to address it. Who wants to be the one to point the finger? Nehemiah reminds us here several things about successful rebuilding. If you're going to be successful, you must realize that those who want to be successful will always untie what they can. Let's never cut what can be untied. And let me begin just by saying this morning, maybe you're at a point in your life somewhere where you've realized we've had to cut the knot. It happens. You have to cut the knot when things aren't right. You have to cut the knot when someone dies. You have to cut the knot when certain relationships end. There does come a point, hear me clearly, that sometimes you have to cut the knot. But in most cases in life, there is so many more blessings involved when we learn to untie it and to work through it rather than to just cut it off. So Nehemiah takes us on this journey Listen to the conflict that Nehemiah faced so that I don't take it out of the context. I'll give you several of these. Listen to the story. Man, they were facing all kinds of things. For us, it may be losing our job. Maybe we've had irreparable damage and we realize our career has got to start over. Some of us have had irreparable damage in our families. We found ourselves starting over. Some of us have been in church conflict where we've had to start over. And some of us have been through many relationships, friends, That we've had to start over. Nehemiah reminds us no different. Write this down than 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When we are told that Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God. And in the very next verses he says this. And he has made us ministers of reconciliation. Man what a task. We have been given in the inerrant inspired word of God. The task of being reconcilers, helping others be reconciled to God and helping ourselves be reconciled to each other. Yes, we must learn to untie some knots. Nehemiah takes us on that journey. Very important to realize in this conflict of getting through and rebuilding our walls that we not establish imaginary walls or invisible walls on the inside. You can imagine what Nehemiah was thinking when all of a sudden he realized that his whole goal of rebuilding the wall to protect the city was being accomplished at a very quick rate. And probably just as quickly there were being walls built between his own people. Maybe Satan has slithered in this morning and you're doing great at work but there's some walls being built at home. Maybe you're doing great at church, but there's some walls being built between friends. 
Men, maybe you're doing great in your relationship with your wife, but there's some walls being built with your children. You see, it's amazing how Satan works so that he can try to slow the process down. And he knows that conflict is the quickest way to get something stopped. Because most of us do not know how to handle it. Listen to these things that he goes through. Write these down quickly because it's the the point I want to make this morning is, isn't it amazing that in Timothy 3, we are given the qualities of what an elder should be? The qualities of what those who lead the church and control their relationships should be? And the areas of life? And here Nehemiah gives it to us centuries ahead of time when they struggled in these areas. One... They struggled in the famine, obviously, because it was finances. They struggled in, with their families because they were being sold. They struggled in the relationship with their friends, their fellow Jews. And they were wrestling with their faith because, folks, this was disobedience. I won't give you the whole story, but you can go back and do the research. The whole point of exacting interest and taking from another goes back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It was the law of Moses that gave them an outline of how they should treat one another. And help one another. And they were taking advantage of those laws. They were disregarding many of them. Disobeying the covenants they had made. So if you think about this from our family, our friends, our finances, and our faith. I've shared this many times before. Those are the exact same qualities in 1 Timothy 3 that Paul writes and says, If you're going to be a leader in the church, these are the areas you've got to be able to overcome. I think if you took Nehemiah, the master wall builder, and... Shepherd back here in the Old Testament and, and Paul writing Timothy, the young pastor here. Isn't it amazing that God's word gives us the exact same instructions over the thousands of years that separate them? We've got to be reconcilers. Whether it's your family, your friends, your finances, or your faith. If you're tied in knots, don't just cut them loose. Today is not the day to say, I've had enough of church, I've had enough of God, there are no answers, I'm cutting it loose. Today's not the day to say, I've had enough of this family, I'm moving on, there's no way, the journey's too long. I'm tired of these friends, they've always betrayed me, you know, money's just not worth it. Because remember, once you cut the knot, there's no more untying. We would probably use the phrase today, don't burn all the bridges. Because you never know when you've got to go back across them. It may be, it just may be, 25 years down the road, that one of your children is ready to come back across the bridge. Don't burn it. It just may be 25 years that you finally get the knot untied and can spend the rest of your life enjoying grandkids, enjoying the things that mean most. So Nehemiah gives us the important teaching as always in the process of rebuilding. It's never too late for a new beginning. This morning I challenge you, how are we going to handle this? How do I do this? Well, let's work it through. First of all, listen to it. The importance of these is that they're based on sin, the division that's occurring, the relationships that are causing problems, the issues that they're facing are because people aren't obeying Scripture. It's sinful in what they're doing. And many of our conflicts arise over sin. And so listen to these of what Nehemiah gives us. First and foremost, write this down. You've got to reach a limit. How do we handle 
conflict and clean up this mess. It's when you reach the limit. And what I mean by that is Nehemiah heard all these cries. And look what it says in verse 6. When I heard all this, I was angry. I was disturbed. It's a word that we get all throughout Scripture. It doesn't just mean you're ready to go judge somebody and get it over. It's because you are burning within. You have reached the point where you realize it's wrong. We can't continue like this. This is not right. This is sinful. We've got to do something about it. Nehemiah realizes most people will never resolve conflict because they never reach the point where they reach that limit. They just assume, well, everybody goes through this. This is normal. This is how it's supposed to be. Everybody struggles. We're no different. And we justify living in conflict. But when you finally reach the limit, it's because you're ready to do something about it. If you've reached the limit in crazy areas, if you've reached the limit of animal abuse, you've probably helped and sheltered and cared for and provided because you just can't stand anymore the abuse. When you see the children that are being trafficked across the borders and countries, you've probably donated, you've probably been involved, you've gotten out there to help because you've reached the limit of this abuse. And when you've seen sin ravage one of your children through drugs, alcohol, being impaired in their life and ruining it, Sometimes we sin or stay back too long. But when we reach the limit, it's worth saying the truth. It's worth confronting the situation. So first and foremost, let me ask you tonight, if you're ready to untie a knot, have you reached the point of anger yet? Not anger in the sense of sin. Jesus got angry. Jesus demonstrated that anger in a godly way. He confronted the sin. He went to the money changers. He went to the tables in the temple court. He handled it. Folks, I'm not telling you, get mad and get even. But if you're not angry about sin, something's wrong. If you have not reached the limit where sin is able to live rampantly amongst us without doing anything about it, something's wrong. We've got to begin to untie these situations and it begins when we've reached the limit but not only that we've got to reach deep inside listen to what he says okay in the very next section of what he says i was angry and i heard their outcry in verse 7 i took counsel within myself that is actually translated if you want to in the old testament as i listened to my heart i took a moment to step back you can use all these words i took a moment to just have some time to myself i took some time to just back away and think about it i looked inside to the truth what really means most do i really want this relationship to work do i really think that this is worth destroying a relationship with my children? Do I really think I should quit this job? Do I think the church should split? Do I think my spouse should go? Do I think the world? Folks, that's not it. You see, when you take a moment because you've reached the limit, it doesn't mean it's all over. It means you're ready to take time to look deep within and say to yourself, what is really the priorities of life? What is it that God's wanting us to build? What is it have we been striving for all of our lives? That's deep down in. And you know why? Because you're filled with the Spirit of God. And when you seek out the Scriptures and the truths and He reveals them to you, I would bet 99 times out of 100, James is right when he says, be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Nehemiah would say it this way. 
Just listen to your heart. What is God telling you? Is the relationship worth cutting off? Or can you spend the time to just untie it and realize the blessings that come with it? Oh, that's not all that he has to tell us. Jesus did the same thing. When you talk about taking some time away and just praying and thinking, Jesus not only did it on the mountain when he asked the disciples to stay down so that he could go up and pray to get a glimpse of really what it was that he was being asked, challenged by many people to lose his temper and to just bring down the wrath of God. I don't know how many times throughout the New Testament Satan tried, whether it was through the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lack of the commitment on the disciples his own family and friends, they all tried at times. Lord, if this is really who you are, just end it now. Prove it. And he took some time to go up on the mountain. And when he faced the hardest time of his life, if you remember, it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane that he went and spent some time to see what the truths and the values really were. Do you have a garden? Where's your place? So that you don't lose your temper. That you don't cut the knots. And that you can take a moment and just say, you know what, Lord, I need help. Give me a clear perspective. Let me know the truth. How can I untie this so that you can have the glory? You see, working through the conflict is hard. Not only did Jesus work through all of that, But it's reaching deep inside after you've taken this time to think to do the next thing. And that is to rise up and confront. You see, first you have to reach the limit. Then you have to reach deep inside. And now you have to rise up and confront. That's exactly what he did. But he did it after he thought about it. Folks, that's an important step. Many of us want to rise up and confront right away. We're angry. Let's go get it. Oh, yes. Let me put an important step that's not mine. Oh, I've jumped that step many a times, and I'll tell you it doesn't work. Most pastors are perfect. We handle things just with great control. But I can tell you, honestly, there's times I've skipped the second step. And boy, has the Lord brought me back down. If you're going to do this right, and you're going to learn how to deal with people, you're going to have to stop and think. Then rise up and confront For some of us, we spend the rest of our lives just thinking about it. We hibernate. We call. It's not worth the fuss. It's not worth the argument. It's not worth another uh, disagreement. It's not worth the time it's going to take. And we live our life in thought. Forgive me, Lord, where I have sinned in thought, word, and deed. You have to move beyond the thought. This is what he says. I took counsel within myself. And then I brought the charges against the nobles. I took on the leaders. I took on those that were supposed to be the ones helping. I took on those that were supposed to have known best. I took on the ones that I didn't think I would ever have to worry about. It's the ones you least expect that cause the most damage. It's those that we take our guard down, but we must rise up. Look at verse 9. And so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. We didn't just say I didn't like it. Folks, you have the right to disagree with a lot of people. Those are only what? Opinions. As Corlin Klein told me in my college days one time as I shared so openly the truths of my life. Jerry, those are just opinions. Opinions are like pennies. 
Everybody has them, and they're worth absolutely nothing. That's what an opinion is. This is not what he says. He doesn't just say, look, guys, what you're doing, I don't like. What you're doing, people aren't happy with. Listen to what he says. What you're doing is not good. It goes against the rights. It goes against the covenants. It goes against the teachings. Let me just rephrase this. What you're doing is sin. What you're doing is sin. And it's not good. And so we've got to learn to rise up. We've got to realize that resolutions are not accomplished by just sweeping them under the rug again, spending our time in thought. Folks, there is a fine line. I've shared this before, not to bore you, between procrastination and patience. For so many of us, we keep telling everybody, well, just be patient, just be patient. That's, that's procrastination when you know what God wants you to do and you don't do it. Patience is waiting to find out what God wants. Procrastination is not doing what you know God's told you to do. And you've got to decide the difference. One is the process of thought. The other is to rise up and act and to confront and to do it in a godly way. That's what Nehemiah is telling us. We can't just let people do what they want, get what they want, have what they want. That's not what it means to be Christian. What this starts off is not just some meek and mild, hey, listen, if you want to keep the peace, great. I remember reading a statement one of the Authors many years ago, and it stuck with me, it said this. Remember, Jesus said this. Blessed are the peace what? Makers, not the peacekeepers. It's not our job to keep peace at all cost. It's our job to make peace. To become reconcilers. To not run from the arguments. Folks, most conflicts are only emotional why is it that when someone has a birthday party, they can scream with emotion and shout and yell and laugh and have a good time and we want to jump right in? But when someone dies and they're full of sadness and sorrow and bitterness, we want to run away. They're just emotions. The real condition is what's taking place on the inside. The real relationship exists not based on emotions. Maybe you've grown up in a family where the emotion is always anger. They get what they want because they're loud. They use words they shouldn't use. They point fingers where they shouldn't point them. And they get what they want because everybody else bows down. Or maybe you grew up in the home where they got what they wanted. Ladies, I say it gently. Men will raise their voices, be the stern, and even pull out scripture and say, Well, I'm the what? Come on, guys. I'm the husband. I'm supposed to be the leader. We pull all the strings when we want to get what we want. Ladies, you pull the same strings. They just come in the form of tears. Yeah, that's how we get what we want. Nehemiah says, look beyond that. You've got to rise up and deal with the conflict. If someone starts to cry in the middle of the discussion, let them cry. Help them cry. Let it ball up and get out because then when it's done, you can talk. If someone's yelling and they're frustrated and they're saying every letter word in the four-letter word in the book or whatever it is, just give them something to yell at. Let them get it out and then talk. Don't run from emotion. Nehemiah simply says you've got to reach a limit. You've got to get angry at sin. And then you've got to take some time to think about how to handle this godly. And then you've got to go forward and rise up and confront it. If you don't confront it, it will become an open sore and wound that will put an aching in your life forever. 
So we have to make a decision. As he says here, I confronted them. There was a time for them to rise up. Jesus did the same. I've used Jesus as my example. He was the one, if you wish, that got angry at times when sin was there. He was the one that took off some time to get some deep thought. And he was the one that rose up to confront. Do you remember when he stood before Pilate and Pilate confronted him about who he claimed he was? Do you remember what Jesus' words were? They weren't stern. They weren't loud. They weren't loud. He simply said it in a gentle tone of voice probably. When he says, so you claim to be the king of the Jews... Do you remember what he said? He didn't bow down and say, well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Well, you know, it just depends on which Jews you're talking about. He didn't try to avoid it. He simply said this, it is as you say. My kingdom is not of this world. And you're only allowed to do what you're doing because my father has granted you the right to do it. Oh, it doesn't have to be mean. But we have to be able to rise up. Jesus rose up. Again, we're here to make peace, to be reconcilers, to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish in the rebuilding, not just of walls, but of our relationships. We can't pacify ourselves by coming up with thousands of reasons to do nothing. Well, I've said it before, and it didn't work. Oh, I've told them a thousand times what they should do. They just don't listen. You know, they make their bed. They have to what? If they can't stand the heat, they can what? It's amazing. Folks, let me just give you a bit of advice. I'm not trying to be mean to you. Those are a thousand excuses for you to say, I don't want to untie the knot. I just as soon cut it off. Man, I ask you to please pray. Please think deeply. I remember the day. I won't go into all the details. My kids can tell you. We drove up to Colorado Springs to Palmer Park, if you know where I'm talking about, if you've ever been there. We went up to the bluffs in Austin Bluffs. It was the first time we had met my dad in years. First time some of my children had ever seen him. And they spent the time at the park for about two hours. It was there when we left, it wasn't long after, that my cousin wrote me a letter and wanted to know if my father had died. And the sadness of the story wasn't that my children went through a hard time. It was that my father never got to enjoy the eight grandchildren that could have changed his life. You see, sometimes when you cut one knot, you lose the rest of the string. Are you willing to lose the rest? Are you willing to cut one knot that you could take the time to untie to experience the blessing. Nehemiah says you've got to reach the limit. You've got to look deep inside. You've got to be able to rise up and then finally you've got to reach across, folks. It's the reaching out process that matters. Let us stop using all these excuses and let us reach across and try to restore. You don't have to take credit for everything. Folks, it's okay to reach across the aisle sometimes and say, look, man, I was wrong. I know. I don't know how to fix it, but I was wrong. I'd rather have you as a friend. I'd rather have you as a child. I'd rather keep our relationship. It's not worth all this other. I'd rather have my friends. You don't have to win all the time. Sometimes it's worth losing a few battles in order to win the war. 
Jesus, if you wish, lost a few battles. He willingly reached the cross and allowed them to mock, to ridicule, to sin, to leave, to reject. And yet it was at the cross that he was willing to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, this is the Jerry paraphrase. I'm not going to cut the knot. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to bring your children back. And I'm going to reconcile them to you. And I'm going to do what the plan was. You see, Nehemiah is challenging us this morning. Are you truly a reconciler? His life seemed to be tied up in knots and all kinds of a mess. I'm challenging you this morning to try to untie it. Try to work through it. Jesus knew that he himself was going to have to go through a mess in order to make it right. But he chose to do so. He chose to let us win to be victorious over sin. Here's what Nehemiah writes. Verse 12, we will restore these things. What they were saying is, Nehemiah, we're not going to cut the knot either. We'll give it back. We want this thing to work. We want God to get the glory. Jesus said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but what? Thine. You don't always have to win. What good is it, Dad, to make sure you win every argument to spend the rest of your life without your children? What good is it to win every argument so that it ends in divorces? What good is it to win every argument to end your career? What good is it to prove that you're right for the church to split? You have to ask yourself, are you ready to reach across and untie the knot? Oh, I could give you on and on and I won't, but let me give you a quick story. You understand what Nehemiah did. You understand what Jesus has done Let me give you one more story quickly, if I can. Do you remember when Joseph was sold into slavery? The many years that went by before his brothers finally came and bowed before him, waiting to be fed because they needed food because of the famine, because they had sold their families to slavery. Isn't this amazing? This wasn't the first time Nehemiah had to deal with probably something like this. Do you remember when they gathered in that room, Joseph looked out, saw his brothers, and we are told he got angry. How could they do this to me? How could they sell me? And then do you remember what he did? He listened to his heart. He stepped back. He went away into a room, and he wept. He listened to his heart. And when he came back out into that room, 
He didn't say, I was right. He didn't say, look, God blessed me more. I told you you guys would bow to me. He said, it's me, your brother. And they embraced. All those years that he could have cut the knot. By working through the prisons, working through the trials, working through the famines, Joseph untied the knots and experienced the blessings of the reunification. Oh, this morning I challenge you, in the same way as Joseph, in the same way as Nehemiah, and in the same way as Jesus. Let me close by saying this. There's many ways to handle a conflict If you stay at the stage of being angry, we call that a lose-lose relationship. Because you stay mad, everybody stays separated, and everybody loses. But there's also what's known as the win-lose relationship. And that's the relationship where you only rise up and confront all the time to get what you want. So you win, but everybody else what? Loses. Then there's also the lose-win. When really what you do is... Step across the aisle and always give in so that everybody else wins and you lose just to keep the peace. But then there's the opportunity to reach your limit. Look deep within your heart. Stand up and confront the sin and then reach across the aisle. And in that case, it's a win-win. And that's what we're looking for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have guided us through so many things in our lives. We have been humbled so many times in our frailty and sinfulness. Father, we realize throughout history that every relationship finds conflict. Father, what we're praying for this morning is that you would give us the spirit to help us deal with conflict in a biblical way. That you would help us through patience and determination, through the scriptures, that we would learn to untie every knot we could. And that cutting it would only be the last resort. Fathers, we begin rebuilding our lives in many different ways. In new places, new churches, new families, new careers. We've all been in places where knots have been cut. But help us now, Lord, untie all that we can untie. Remind us, Lord, it's never too late to begin again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would receive the benediction, let me read it from Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.